This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. This man is a master educator. He is an incredible um, person. He is the CEO of the Center for Black Educator Development. Let me welcome to the show Sharif Elmeki. Hey. Thanks so much. Hey, great <laughs> to see y'all. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, huge fan, huge fan. Oh, well, listen, we well, are, man. we are in this together. Like I, I feel like the mutual admiration society that we're building is around mm-hmm. the work, right? It's not yes. like, Oh, yeah. I don't sing dance. Or, you know, I ain't doing none of that. You're not singing and mm-hmm. dancing. Maybe you can't sing. Cause a lot of y'all got multi talents. No, I, I can't. No, no, no. Okay. I'm, I'm just about this work. Yeah. Yes. And, and, <laughs> and that should be, that should be the fandom, right? Like, yo, you're doing some things that are changing people's yeah. lives. I love you. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that, that should be it. So uh, let's start there. You know, former principal, you'd have been in the in the system. I would call it the the broken system that probably mm-hmm. was invented to break us. You know, yeah. Yeah. you were there from the other side. Now you're over yes. here building. Some, is it something different that you're building, or is it an extension of what was broken? Oh no, it's it's radically different. Um, you know what we are. We're building, you know, and my my friend Dr. Koso Lassane would call it the black teaching tradition, trying to recapture that, that Sankofa, you know, looking back, fetching what has been lost, um, part of what has not been codified. I mean, although you are uh, doing a tremendous work of helping to make sure that it gets codified with your partnership with Dr. Greg Carr and, and, and others to make sure that we don't lose what people, um, how we know Black children and Black communities can be healed and supported. Um, we know that uh, the work that we're doing to rebuild this national black teacher pipeline is something that, you know, has always existed, you know, really taking a look at what is what are the African people and what are our traditions of, and relationships between teaching and learning, scholars and scholarship, education and self-determination, and making sure that our youth are exposed to that in ways that many of them have not experienced as students. But in this intergenerational model that we're building, where these high school students and college students can teach first, second, and third graders, is a natural way that we learn anyway in our community. Everybody has a, as a younger sibling, neighbor, cousin, aunt, uncle that they're learning from, but also pouring into, right? And so we're we're just honored to be able to engage high school youth, college youth. Um, and teach them a little bit about the Black teaching tradition. Like, hey, forget what you heard. This is what Dr. Carter G. Woodson said about teaching and learning. Forget what you experience, or don't forget it, but actually do the 180 of that. And here's what Lucy Craft Laney said about building schools, leading classrooms. And here's the connection between education and racial justice, activism, and teaching Black children superbly. Mm, so oh, walk, us, walk us through that bridge. All right. The day you walked out of a school as a principal and decided mm-hmm. to do this. Yeah. So, you know, originally we piloted. I was a principal and we piloted because there were, we had a couple of youth who were interested in teaching. And we had already we were a seven to 12 uh, grade building. And we always had this learning institute for the incoming seventh graders. And we would ask our teachers and others to come and hold this learning institute, which was almost like six months. It was like half the sixth graders, their final sixth grade year as they were coming to us in that summer, just so they could have orientation. They could start off, you know, the fall, like, you know, super well, super comfortable, part of the community. 
we were in the neighborhood of West Philadelphia. So it was a lot of siblings and all that kind of stuff. But at some point, you know, I was teasing this young high schooler. Um, she was going, she was catching a bus to go about an hour to go flip burgers at one of those chain restaurants in the suburban mall. And I'm teasing her. I'm like, you driving a, you going a whole hour to go flip some burgers, girl. Can't you flip burgers in Philly? She's like, I actually don't want to flip burgers, El Mackey. I want to be a teacher, but there's nowhere for me to go to learn how to teach. Mm. And that just punched me in the gut because here I am leading a school and I'm just like, what do you mean there's nowhere to, you know, I was like, you can ask one of this, like we can, there are people in the, inside the building who can teach you how to teach. She said, when I tell people that I want to be a teacher, people outside of school say, hey, you love kids. Why don't you babysit mine? Oh. And she said, people inside the schools, when I tell them, they say, why don't you help me with my bulletin boards? Mm. And that was just such a gut punch that here we have this, this youth, this brilliant youth who says, I want to lead a classroom. And people are like, oh, you know, file papers, do this, bulletin board, but not like the art and science and mindset and skill necessary to be an effective leader of a classroom, an effective leader of children in that community. And so we piloted that summer. We're just like, you know what? I'm going to find some money. We're going to pilot this. And instead of asking teachers to come and lead those that learning institute for sixth graders, we asked high school and, and some of our alum. Hey, any of y'all who are interested in open to teaching, come join us and come teach the sixth graders about what you want to you know, do. And we were just tapping into what our alum were already doing. They were already popping in, stopping in, doing mentorship. Hey, can I help? Can I help? But we said, hey, let's systematize this and give them the opportunity um, to teach. And so that's what we've continued to doing. Um, so I left in 2019 after the successful pilot and we learned uh, from them and we have the intergenerational model. We pulled from SNCC Freedom Schools, um, CDF, Children's Defense Fund Freedom Schools, the Black Panther Liberation Schools, as well as the Independent Black Schools Movement, which I benefited from as an elementary school student. Um, so pulling from all that, mixed it up like some good old-fashioned jumbo, gumbo, said, and um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. understood what you're <laughs> yeah. um, I was so, about to say jumbo, and I was like gumbo, you know what I mean? Jambalaya, gumbo, jumbo, yes, the shrimp, so what, all of that. Uh, First of all, uh, this is something close to my heart because my daughter is an educator. So mm, she's, mm. I, you know, and she's just starting. Shout out to the educators. Said, yes, yeah. right. I mean, it truly is a calling. What What is it that the students, the younger students get? I, well, what do they get from learning from essentially peers? I mean, they're mm -hmm. older, but they're, you know, students as well. And what do the older students get outside of the actual learning, you know, how to teach and how to yeah, do what, yeah. what are they both getting? The, the, the biggest thing is, you know, sadly, what many of them may not necessarily uh, experience is community. Mm. Like they see someone who feels that I'm responsible for you and for your learning. And you know what? I won't be successful unless you're successful. And you won't be successful unless I'm successful. And you know what? We're going to do this together, right? And so it's also just that near peer experience. But if you're in the first grade, my own daughters, my own personal biological youngest daughters, are scholars in our program, right? And so I am able to kind of hear directly from them, their love of their high school and college teacher, we call them you know, junior servant leaders and servant leader apprentices, these high school and college youth, they love them. Like, you know, to, it's just like, it's having an older sister or older brother who's, you know, committing to showing them, teaching them, being there for them. 
um, but also having a cultural connection to understand like, hey, we have a similar experience in this country and beyond. But then the older ones, what they say, what we see from them is this development of self-efficacy and confidence. Because mm-hmm. there's a pre-test and a post-test. But, you know, there's nothing like you being a sophomore in high school and people telling you, you know, all kind of anti-Black messages, all kind of anti-intellectual messages that that they're um, they're sent. And many of them, unfortunately, may even digest it and internalize it. But when they see, like, wait a minute, Sakina grew from here to here and I had a hand in it? Like, wait a minute, her positive racial identity has developed and improved and I had a hand in it, like that, that is pretty powerful where they, their sense of empowerment, um, but also their activism, because they all, they, many of them are attracted to us because they're saying like, oh yeah, I'm interested in social racial justice. So we're like, okay, let's connect that to educational justice as well. And the purest yes. form of activism is teaching black children superbly. That starts to really invigorate them. And um, it's, it's been powerful, it's been powerful. You are powerful. Sharif Almecki is here, CEO of the Center for Black Educator Development. Uh, as you're talking, you can go to the centerblacked.org, www.thecenterblacked.org. I'm thinking about Fred Hampton, 24, mm. 23, 22, 21 years old. 21 years old. I'm sorry. 21, yeah, 21. years old. Yeah. You know, out there. We don't Leadership, have a, right? Yes. We don't have a rites of passage. But there's something to be said for that. I remember being in the fifth grade. I was very rambunctious. I guess you can talk in class, bored because, you know, it's not mm-hmm. not challenged, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And my teacher didn't put me in the corner. She made me a hall monitor. Yeah. She made me a, a crossing guard. She didn't she didn't chastise me. She was like, here's some money. Bring me my newspaper every day. So mm-hmm. I had to go to the store on my way to school and I would bring Ms. Johnson her paper. I didn't responsibility. How brilliant yeah. was she? Like, and it changed the trajectory of my classroom participant. Like I felt like I owed it to, you know, I'm going to get everyone safely across the street. I'm going to monitor the halls and I'm bringing <laughs> the teacher her paper. It yeah. definitely impacted. I was like, man, I think back now it was the most brilliant thing because you know how disruptive I probably was in class. You know, <laughs> you know, I was disruptive. It changed everything, changed everything more, you know, less punitive, more understanding that yeah. child is being, you know, talkative because they don't have enough to do or they don't feel connected to, you know, because they've already read everything and they're just like, all right, I checked out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and when I think about like the leadership that you, you, you were given, um, but also poured into like it, a very different experience could have been like, you know, just this constant, you know, belittling um, and undermining and, and trying to damage your dignity and humanity. Right. Because that's what so many of our youth experience. Right. And at some point it's, it's actually self-preservation to check out as a black youth from all of this. And then later they're like, oh, why aren't they engaged? Like you disengaged them. They were curious, their their eyes were lit up. They were interested. They wanted to learn. You can't, you know, you can only stop them by treating them less than human, you know, beings, right? Because if we know the research shows that black youth as early as three and four years old experience their teachers' racial biases. And if of they course. experience that of at course. three and four, it doesn't stop when they're seven and eight or yeah. 16 and 17. If anything, it gets compounded. So at one point when the black youth don't have the language for, you know what, they're treating me as a subhuman, 
they might not have the language, but they have the experience. Their psyche, their soul knows like something is oppressive about this. I'm going to resist. I might not have all the tools and techniques, language to resist, but I know I am like shutting down and I'm going to try to shut this down with my little tiny hands and, and small mm. stature, but I am going to resist. Um, that's yeah, I, problematic. I, I grew up in um, a suburb of Sacramento, California. I never had a black teacher. Mm. Um, and I can remember in the fourth grade, um, we were all doing this exercise where we had to talk about our families and where they were from. And we got around to me. And of course we were out of time. And the teacher said, well, we all know Renee's family's from Africa, so we don't really need wow. to go into, and, and I, you know, I'm 10, I'm in the fourth grade, I'm 10. So I come home and luckily I had a mother who was like, oh, hell no. And we marched right back up to the school. And she said, Good. my daughter will have the same amount of time to talk about her family, who isn't just from Africa. We also happen to be Native American and, and so on. And, and luckily for me, I had her, but not everybody has, you know, an Ann Siler. So, yeah. And absolutely. you told her, how, imagine how many Black youth suffer in silence. Mm. Yes. Where they feel like, you know what, the, the, the ramifications of me telling my family maybe even greater is like, like when you sometimes don't want to talk about being bullied because they're like, Oh, it may get worse. Yeah. Sometimes they're talking about the adult. <laughs> they're not always mm -hmm. talking about their peers. Sometimes they're thinking about the adults can treat me worse than what I'm being treated. And I may not have a, 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 a escape hatch. Wow. I, um, I played this clip of this young man. I don't know if you know him. His name is Oliver James. He is learning to read. He's 34 years old. Oh, yeah, you've yeah. seen this, this TikTok. Mm -hmm. He's a TikToker. He's got yes, now, yeah. I think nearly, uh, more than a couple of hundred thousand people are following him every day. He goes on every week and he's reading. Um, and I just want to play a little bit of why he did not learn how to read when he was in school. Smith, are we ready? Do you have it? Okay. All right, play. Is it, I hope it's the same What's one. up? I can't read, but that's all right. Because if you've been following along, you know we're on a journey to fix that. So a couple of people asked me why didn't I learn how to read? And honestly, I, I didn't even know how to respond to this. So I, uh, I asked my lady and she was like, just be honest. So, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't really ever think deep into it until like, now, when I put the video out that I can't read and people kind of started to you know, respond to it and ask questions. And um, yeah, I started to think deep and I, I realized that when I was young, I was abused. Um, when I was in elementary school, I was in special education, you know, and I didn't even like talking about that. So I never expressed, you know, what they did, but they used to be able to like put their hands on us. And, you know, I can go more into detail with that, but you know, it was really hard for me to, you know, think about school, reading, anything had to do with school. When I was going to school thinking about like, what's going on, like truth, how can I get expelled? How can I get kicked out of this place? Most of the places. And you know, truth that puts you from one place to another and most of them ain't better than the, nat the last one you were in. But yeah, yeah, there was some abuse in there. I, I, I thought I was the problem because as a kid, I thought I was grown. But I realized now I was the child. I was supposed to be a child. I was a problem, you know, but I was a child. That's what child, that's what a child does. You know, you'd be a kid. But now that I'm an adult, I look at it, I'm like, no one should have been able to put their hands on me, regardless of what kind of child I was. But, right, yeah. just, you know, if you just want to hear more, you know, just let me know. So, okay. oh, so that's him. Um, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. You know, I grew wow. up in an era where people could put their hands on you too. 
you know, nuns and stuff. I watched a nun beat up a child in class and uh, humiliate children in class on a regular, had us petrified, you know, um, that that's not love. You know, when I, when I talked to Dr. Carr about how we used to learn multi-generationally around a tree, sharing stories and learning our history, I imagined that that's the way it should be. So when I think about what yeah. you're doing, you're doing it, Dr. Al-Mekki, mm-hmm. you're doing it. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and I also have to just you know call out like the, the youth too because you know not only I, I love this intergenerational model, um, and you know as I said like we've learned that from other we're just pulling into what is a natural way, what is an African way of being, um, and you know I, I just want to share a couple things that I learned you know or relearn right because as adults as human beings we're sometimes stubborn forgetful. You know, um, and what I've relearned is, you know, that we have to invite our youth into to the table for them to help us solve problems that they had no hand in creating. Mm. Right. And so the destruction of the black teacher pipeline, they didn't have a hand in that, but they have the wisdom and insight as well as the knowledge, because they are the ones most proximal to the problem of how to address it. You know, one example of this is, you know, we started our organization in 2019. As your listeners will know, a few months before the pandemic, you know, um, here we are launching a, a small black led, black, you know, uh, founded nonprofit, which is already a precarious situation as in itself. But then right before the pandemic and, you know, our model with, you know, with Freedom Schools Literacy Academy being a part of teacher apprenticeship, summertime, after school, teacher academy during the day where imagine black teaching 101. Um, as a high school elective that you can take every year as you're matriculating through college, right? Then you graduate, you can come back and continue as an apprentice, a paid apprentice. Mm. Um, But we were going to pause on all that with the 2020 because it was like, well, we can't do what we do virtually. Like we're in person, we're high five, we're hugging, we're having Harambe. And it was black youth, high school students who said, oh, we can do this virtually. And my thing was like, no, everything I'm hearing on TV, articles that I'm reading is that you all hate virtual learning, that you won't show up, like it it will be a disaster, like we can't. And they said, oh no, this is different though. We'll we'll show up for this and people will show up. And you know what, we listened. And I'm so grateful that we did because I was learning about like, hey, we're just gonna pause. We'll send them articles to read. They're like, no, we wanna teach first, second, and third graders as our normal product, and we're going to do it virtually. And it reminded me that you can build community wherever, as long as you have the mindset to do it, as long as you have love and, and a community-based yes. orientation, a servant leadership, um, you know, anchor, then you're, you're able to do it, right? And so we did it, and we went from having two sites in person in Philly that we, everybody paused around the globe, Pause that and then ended up having 15 states represented in our freedom schools, wow. you know, wow. as far away as California. And they're doing Harambe, they're do- reading, they're teaching and learning. And I'm just like, yo, and the outcomes were also impressive. Like, you know, so we're talking about like, oh, people lost this and lost that. We're like, no, not these youth. Positive wow. racial identity, check. Literacy, check, right? And then the other thing that they taught me was they, they were you know, part of their learning how to be a teacher, they have to do an educational activism project. And we're always, you know, 
doing focus groups, trying to learn from them. Hey, give me your, your wise. Your, I don't care if you're a teenager, you're wise, share it, you know, because they don't always look at what they know and what they've experienced as wisdom. It's just like, no, you guys are, it's, you're the expert on your lived experience. And that was integral about informing us on how to create a program for your peers. And as, as we continue to grow and expand around the country. And so they came up with a campaign. Hashtag, we need black teachers. Oh. And I was like, wait a minute, you're a teenager. Aren't you supposed to have some smoke screen, some TikTok, some of this, some of that, some rap, some <laughs> just something. And they said, no, we don't want to distract from our rallying cry and our demand. We mm. need black teachers. They're like, we don't want it to be, we don't want anybody distracted by anything. That's why we're not dancing. We're not doing it. We're just telling them straight. Hashtag, we need black teachers. And we're just like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> That's that's brilliant, right? Like that's brilliant. Like we just actually helped them. So we just started helping them amplify it, right? And now we have folks all around the country who are sharing why we need black teachers and what their experience has been with having black teachers and why they want more black teachers. They're like, this is our rallying cry and demand. And we're like, you know what? This is the genius that that you all uh that we always need access to. So keep stuff you know help us stay close to you and, and stay close to us as we go on this journey together to rebuild a national black teacher pipeline i think you guys were really smart also though to listen mm -hmm. to the teenagers or the the paraprofessionals um because it would have been easy to say well what do you know and, and yeah. we're the experts over here and i think that's something that adults do a lot mm -hmm. we fall back on that oh well i'm older so therefore i'm wiser it, it, and and what I'm hearing a lot in this discussion is mutual respect and also investment and really love. I know that sounds so so corny and so no, well, there's no real. place for that. And but truly, the the younger kids are getting and being fed this thing, even if they can't put a a, a, a definition to it, but they know that the teacher cares for them or the paraprofessional, or the student teachers care for them. And yeah. then the, the student teachers understand that I'm needed. This is important. These kids, if I don't show up today, okay, I got a little, I got a little sore throat, but you know, I got, well, I'm working on something with so-and-so. So yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yes. Investment, investment. We, we got a question from Nubia and one on the line and we have less than 10 minutes, um, not even five minutes. Uh, Karen Murata <laughs> wants to know, is there a specific path within building black educator pipeline where special education, and this is why I played this video, special education, because this young man was classified as special ed, is addressed. Mm -hmm. And if so, what does that look like, Dr. Elman? Yeah, well, I mean, one, we know that, you know, many of our, our children are, you know, over-policed, over-studied, and over-represented in, you know, special ed population. You know, they're quick to label us. Um, but then the other piece that we, you know, really focus on is literacy um, and how many students are actually not taught how to read, right? And so if we're not taught how to read, it's very easy to, as students get older, and they're recognizing that they're struggling, that then they're playing like, oh, you know what, you can't read, you know, but it's, instead of it looking at it as a deficit on how they were being taught, the deficit is placed on the child, the community, and the, and the family, right? And so that's 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 why we chose literacy as our anchor, and you know to make sure that. And we're not saying like our high school and college youth are going to be expert readers at the end of the summer or at the end of the you know even if they're with us for after school and summer. But what we're saying is, 
here are the five strategies that you're going to know about and you're going to know deeply and you're going to have an impact because we know if I'm an older brother, I can support my younger sibling in reading and literacy skills. But we're not just saying like, hey, here's a book and read. Because sometimes I, you know, I cringe. Sometimes I hear parents, you know, I'll, be, I'll hang out in Uncle Bobby's bookstore and I hear a parent like, yeah, I know you're struggling with reading. Get that book. Now read it. Like it's, it's a little more scientific than that. It's not, you know, um, and so we want our youth to understand that where it kind of opens the door where they have a better understanding. Like, oh, there's actually a science to this. And when I or others struggled, there is a mechanism, you know, one of it, phonics that black folks were using, like, as a kid, I remember on my my uh, cousin's porch learning some of the the fine. I didn't know that at the time, but I'm four years old, and we didn't sing A B C the way that is traditionally taught. We learned it abacada efaga haija kalamana pa kwarasata ava waza yaza. That's the phonic version of how that letter sounds instead of A, B, C, D, mm. you know, because they were already saying like, this is, they were breaking it down, right? Mm. And so some of that was lost in how we were taught and we're reintroducing it to high school and college youth who never thought about, who do, weren't taught in that way. Please do that again, Sharif Almeki. Oh, sure, sure, sure. That's how we learned the alphabet as black youth. But again, I grew up in a very particular community, wow. but it was a community that that was more pervasive before it was again, isolated. like, no, mm. don't trust the black community. Come trust this over here. But now 80% of public school teachers are white. Many of them have no connection. Just imagine they have no connection to black community. Right. We, there's already research out there that like most white people don't even have black friends. Right. So if they don't have black friends, they don't live in your neighborhood. They're not shopping at your stores. They're not listening to your shows. All of their messages about black people and blackness is from media, social media and then your children. That's their only interaction with black black people and they're forming. And then who taught them? Because it's not just who's leading the classroom, but it's also What's the intellectual genealogy of the person leading the classroom? Mm. Who's not just leading the classroom, but who taught them how to lead a classroom and where did they come from, right? And so when you trace that, because when I was coming up, I attended Nathamusasa, which is an African free school, right? That's where we went from first to sixth grade. And they would always talk about, hey, students, you're known by your teacher and us as teachers, we're going to be known by you as students. We're going to be known by how you do and how you perform. That's a very different connection to, listen, I get paid whether you learn or not. Like, I ain't got nothing. Like, I'm I'm going to parachute in and I'm going to rocket ship out as soon as I get out of here because I live over the bridge, over the river, in the, in the next uh, county suburb. I'm not connected to you. I don't know you. My only interaction is with your child, and that's how I'm forming. And I'm bringing all my racial biases with that. That's a very different learning environment or unlearning or mislearning, um, you know, that uh, that our, our youth is subjected to. Wow. Uh, you must come back because we got callers and more questions and all of the things. And we're piecing this together brick by brick. Uh, will you come back, please? please? Oh, thank you. I, I will be honored to. 
Mecky, you can follow him at S E L Mecky M E K K I. I needed to know what all of this means too, so we had to come back so we can do, dissect your name and get <laughs> yes. some more learning. Thank you so much for the, the work that you're doing. You're incredible. It's the Center yeah. for Black Educator Development. Uh, you can go to the Center Black org to see all of the goodness there, and we need Black Teachers We need Black Teachers 